Rainbow Energy Reimagined Series, bringing diverse perspectives on the intersection between energy, technology, and tangata in Aotearoa. Brought to you by the Energy Academy. This podcast series showcases over 50 esteemed speakers navigating our four big LUMO themes. Energy and humanity, energy tomorrow, just transition, and energy's future story. Thank you to our partners, Orion, Genesis Energy, Araake, Energy Efficiency and Conservation Authority, also known as ECA, Christchurch New Zealand, Ministry of Social Development, and Ara Institute of Canterbury. Thank you to Genesis, who is partnering with us on this LUMO theme, Energy's Future Story. I'd like to introduce you to Tim Hawkey, the founder of Energy Bank. Tim founded Energy Bank to solve one of society's trickiest problems while also capitalizing on an opportunity of a lifetime. Over the next three decades, the global electricity system is going to decarbonize. The crescendo of economic, technological, and political powers occurring make this inevitable. These developments are disrupting inflexible encompasses and creating substantial new classes of product demand. Energy Bank is cooperating with existing market players to solve a significant roadblock the system faces in its adaption. Energy Bank is developing the next generation of energy storage technology. Um, I'm lucky enough to have um, some time with Tim today uh, just to discuss his journey um, to where he started and where he is now and and, uh, Energy Bank. So welcome Tim and um, yeah, if you would like to sort of introduce yourself a wee bit. Yeah, hey Nick, thank you for having me. Um, yes, so my name's Tim Hawkey. I am the co-founder and CEO of an early stage startup called Energy Bank. Um, and yeah, we're basically on a mission to radically improve the economics and scalability of clean energy storage around the globe. Technologies like lithium-ion batteries and pumped hydro, um, they're kind of too expensive or environmentally damaging to deploy at the scale needed to completely decarbonize electricity system. Um, Our technology is different. Um, It works by storing gravitational potential energy, similar to pumped hydro systems. So by pushing a mass up, you can, you have to put energy in, and then to extract that mass, sorry, you can then extract that energy back out by um, releasing that mass back down, um, I guess, further into a gravitational well, um, which in our case is kind of just height above sea level or below sea level um, on our planet. Essentially, we're looking at floating multiple thousand ton plus masses below large concrete spar buoys in yeah, deep parts of the ocean, close to large cities. And then um, where yeah, there's kind of vertical distances below the spar buoy of four to eight kilometres. So really large vertical distances. And for, for the people that don't know what a spar buoy is, can you explain a spar Yeah, so a like? spar buoy is just basically a cylinder that you... Um, that is ballasted at the bottom so that it wants to float kind of vertically in the water. Um, so it's like a long skinny cylinder and it floats vertically in the water and because most of it has a very small what's called freeboard which is the amount of cross-sectional area which is exposed to the surface, um, it is very stable. Um, so waves etc passing by it don't change its buoyancy level much. So we're looking at floating those off cities above really deep ocean trenches and lifting 1,000-tonne blocks of concrete up and down um, to store potential energy. Yeah, so that technology has kind of, it requires no land. Um, There's little accident risk. Like if it failed, we're going to drop a big block of concrete on the ocean floor. No one's really going to notice. And then, 
we're really focused on using environmentally benign materials throughout it. Um, yeah, and so we think that in conjunction with floating offshore wind can basically be scaled to enable the complete decarbonisation of markets like Taiwan, Japan, California. Nice. And um, how did you how did you start Energy Bank? How did you um, come to the conclusion that you wanted to sort of get into um, the energy sector and make such a um, big claim like you did just there and try and make a difference? Yeah, so I guess I grew up in the electricity system. Um, so my dad built power stations initially um, around the world. He was a combustion engineer, so he was building like big coal-fired power stations. Um, but then moved back to New Zealand and um, I guess we grew up initially as part of what was uh, ECNZ at the time, Electricity Corporation of New Zealand. Um, and so that was kind of a big government enterprise back in those days and we kind of moved around the country as Dad managed various different power stations. Um, so kind of from a very young age I've been exposed kind of to the scale and workings of kind of the electricity that runs your jug in the morning. Um, yeah, when, when I was like four, we were living in Manapuri and I got to go down into like Manapuri Power Station, um, kind of really cool experiences like that. Um, then we moved up to New Plymouth and Dad managed New Plymouth Power Station, which is now shut down, um, but it's kind of where the big chimney is at the port in New Plymouth. Um, so yeah, got a lot of exposure. Um, he was also involved in kind of the privatisation and creation of the wholesale electricity markets in New Zealand. Um, which led to lots of dinner time conversations about how we manage the supply and demand of electricity um, moving into the future. Um, so that's kind of, that was like my childhood, lots of exposure to it and lots of thinking about energy. Um, I got really into rockets in high school um, and that kind of motivated me to keep up my grades and focus on physics and calculus. Um, but already was kind of a little bit disconnected and unsatisfied with society, so, and kind of broad outcomes that were happening. That led to like a little bit of a rebellious stage where I just kind of checked out of society and went skydiving and wanted to get into base jumping and all sorts of things, um, before kind of refocusing, coming back to engineering school in um, Auckland. Um, and yeah, kind of focusing on mechanical engineering. Um, during that time, I kind of, rediscovered my passion for energy and read some books. Um, so one was The Singularity is Near, um, which is basically looking at computers taking over the world, um, and the energy physics, which they think is driving that in the thermodynamics. Um, and another one was kind of like a, a microbiology textbook that looks at first principles of kind of evolution through an energy and thermodynamics perspective. Um, and those kind of two things really framed my entire worldview in terms of energy. So if I'm looking like for fundamentals of why things exist, I kind of see us as like these spikes of anti-entropy, um, where a living thing is kind of like a self-assembling mechanism which fights kind of the, the shift towards just like disorder or randomness that is entropy um, in thermodynamics. Um, so we're really like counter to physics and shouldn't occur. That's kind of the beauty of life. Um, so that got me really passionate about energy again. I also went through an entrepreneurship course at the University of Auckland. I was quite cynical towards the world of business before then. 
Um, and kind of once I got immersed in that, like it was all about fixing problems in the world. Um, if you want to make money, you want people to pay you, then fix a problem for them um, or a company to pay you. Um, and that's worth something to them. That really kind of configurated my passion for business. Um, and so I moved to San Francisco to become an entrepreneur, um, which I thought was the done thing. It was a very good educational experience. It's a pretty competitive society over there. Um, I ended up actually just designing kitchens for like billionaires um, around like Tahoe and things. Um, and was kind of looking for a problem that really drew me and just read about the energy storage problem one day. Um, and yeah, that was the opportunity of their lifetime from my perspective. Um, and it kind of merged all the things I was really passionate about at my core. Um, so I ended up kind of moving into my car for three years over there and living out of the back of that just so I could save as much money as possible. Um, and then kind of sold everything up and broke up with my girlfriend and moved back to New Zealand with my parents when I was like 28 in 2019, at the end of 2019, to kind of work full time on this. Um, that turned out to be quite serendipitous timing in terms of the pandemic creating kind of an existential rethink, I think, throughout society and finance. Um, it led to much more favourable conditions in venture capital markets towards clean tech. Um, and yeah, has landed me kind of where I am today, um, which was essentially, yeah, working away on that problem, defining the market from for kind of the first year, spending six months iterating on technology concepts, trying to find ones which would fit the market best um, before we kind of um, started some conversations with some venture capital firms who were introduced to by customers. Really good way to get into, into venture capital is to be introduced by a customer. Um, and um, yeah, kind of 12 months ago, we closed our seed round, which was oversubscribed. Um, we ended up having like six venture capital firms come on board is a lot to manage for a seed round um, and have kind of started to build out the team and focus on kind of the key technology risks and novel elements that we're doing um, to prove and de-risk those novel elements um, and provide line of sight to them working with economics we say they will at scale, um, which kind of is where we are today working through that. <laughs> uh, thanks, Tim. You've just answered all my questions straight away. Um, no, well, that was obviously quite a um, quite a journey from being a prodigy in terms of the energy sector, growing up with your dad, sort of uh, deep in it, and just learning um, all of that stuff from a young age to to base jumping, uh, skydiving, <laughs> um, moving over to San, San Fran, building kitchens for billionaires. Um, some might say that's not too bad of a too bad of a job. Um, but yeah, look, we're, we're, we're glad that you've found your way um, to. To, to find um, energy energy bank um, from from your your day to day or, or since starting energy bank what is what's one of your favorite things about sort of your job and or sort of what you do it's a very creative process I guess I guess from a day-to-day -day basis I just feel very privileged essentially like I've had an idea in my head and wanted to kind of express my creativity in the world by building a company with a with kind of a product which sells almost like a, a segment of like a utopian future. Um, and that um, ability to begin executing on that is like a, and bringing people in, like hiring super, super smart people to help me do that and having access to the capital 
and time to be able to do that while paying myself is a very privileged position to be in. Um, so yeah, in terms of day to day, the coolest thing is is really just seeing. I guess as we start, there's very little like there's a lot of work to be done, and every day you see things are just getting a little bit more developed and coming more and more to fruition. Um, so that's. I guess on a day-to-day basis, what is the coolest thing? Getting positive customer feedback is, I think, the most exciting thing on kind of a longer-term basis. With that, it really starts to feel like this could be a real long-term thing, like someone will actually pay for this. That is quite exciting. Um, I, I, I guess you, like you said, it's a very privileged position for you to be in, but I think that doesn't, um, that shouldn't undermine sort of the hard work and sort of the, um, that, that, that time that you lived out of your car, like, that time where you can save money to really make your idea a, a um, physical physical thing. So um, that's I think that's credit to you and not to downplay yourself at any point. Um, so your co-op is really contri- contributing to a positive energy future. Um, like you said, you're trying to find that utopic sort of world for, mm-hmm. in terms of energy sector. So um, what does that mean to you to be um, have a hand in that and trying to bring that to life? Yeah, so for me... A positive energy future. I see. I see energy as as the fundamental currency, um, which leads to me disagreeing with quite a few kind of like government interventions, where it looks like they're trying to print money to fix energy problems. When really, like if we look at the history of the economy and economic growth and big step changes, it's all been around unlocking new energy sources. And so I'm really excited about the opportunities that lay ahead with renewables and the paths we're on with that and with decarbonisation. For me, I think the keys to consider are um, making sure that the outcomes are like socially equitable, um, that they're unlocking opportunity where it's most needed, um, that the kind of environmental elements of that energy future are truly sustainable, um, and things like recycling of plant when it's at end of life is, is like baked into the design from the very start. Yeah, and I basically want to see like a self-sustaining, scalable mechanism introduced into the electricity system, which drives this change and shift to renewables kind of with its own natural snowballing momentum. Um, Yeah, I think for me, like the New Zealand vision we have is is quite a reflection of that. So we want to... um, well, one of the areas that we're looking at that could be a really good use case for our technology is off the east coast around Tairawhiti. Um It's a community which has basically been abandoned by the national electricity system. So TransPower kind of offloaded the high voltage lines to Eastland Group there. They have a much poorer connection to the national grid than the rest of the country. They have to run diesel generators at night that all transitions into much higher electricity prices for that community um, and they're one of the least able to afford it. Simultaneously and quite kind of annoyingly they have one of the best combined solar and wind resources in the country and then yeah there's many big issues the country which is facing uh, in terms of electricity systems so we have a lot of volcanic risk exposure to our transmission system both the big kind of two trunks go up past like volcanoes which will explode in the next hundred years and yeah there's issues with too much generation at the bottom of the South Island um, there's what's called a dry year risk um, and basically 
building a third third trunk to New Zealand transmission system out to the east coast would kind of it provides much more resilience in the system in terms of transmission north. It also opens up access to those renewable resources, which are a form of kind of ecologically friendly, sustainable income for the region, which currently has lots of capital outflow paying for electricity. Um, and then simultaneously, we can pioneer kind of this novel technology, um, which can be scaled and exported across the world um, to, to kind of accelerate the, the um, accelerate and create a feedback loop um, for renewables, helping us completely decarbonise electricity systems um, everywhere from like Taiwan to California to Hawaii to Japan to Nigeria. Um, there's a lot of places in the world with with the right kind of set of conditions. Um, so my, my sort of last question on top of that, um, you, you noted ways of sort of um, getting to that, that world that you can see in a better energy story. Um, are there any projects that um, Energy Bank are currently working on or, or in the future that you can discuss that um, are moving towards that direction as well, besides the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, we have to start as small as possible and getting this technology to a state which we call like bankable or so that we can finance large installations um, requires quite a lot of testing, um, de-risking, and then like the ability basically to insure it. Um, and that could possibly take hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, um, which we probably will, yeah, which would be tricky to raise through kind of each capital equity pathways. Um, so it's really about finding the smallest possible use case and the use case with the most synergies with other electricity system players who have lots of money and want to see it come into reality. Um, so the concept which we're working on at the moment is really focusing on the key technology elements um, that we're focused, that, that yeah, make our technology special and are novel. And um, yeah, how much can I talk about it? As, uh, as little as you as, as Yeah, so like. there's, there's, there's a... There's some projects in the North Sea um, being run by the Norwegian oil and gas company Equinor um, called Highwind, which is essentially, essentially building fairly large concrete sparboys, which is like a big cylinder which floats in the ocean, which we were. Um, a concrete sparboy uh, which floats in the ocean and they are putting very large wind turbines on top of them, um, these floating wind turbines. And they have some very exciting technological kind of... Um, trajectories in terms of cost, scalability, where you can put them. Um, combining our technology with that basically allows us to create an infinitely scalable or massively scalable, um, dispatchable, so you can turn it on and off as you want. Zero marginal costs, so there's no cost for fuel, um, electricity resource, um, which is unitized and you can just start kind of floating all around the world off the world's major cities. Sorry to my lied. Um, I've got another question. Uh, you, you touched on your technology energy bank. Could you uh, sort of go into detail about that? As yeah. as big as... Or a yeah, yeah. Um, should we go back to the tell us about energy bank? Yeah. I, I forgot that. That's question. all good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so currently energy companies, consumers and societies cannot fully realise the opportunities which are being offered by incredibly low cost um, 
renewable energy sources, um, particularly at the moment with like the, the kind of situation in Ukraine, it's becoming very apparent that we need to be able to um, execute on the opportunities that they offer. Um, basically, because the sun doesn't always shine, the wind's not always blowing, um, we're still burning lots of coal and gas um, to make sure we can turn on our lights at night, run factories kind of through cloudy weeks, etc. So to solve that problem, we are developing a novel energy storage technology. Energy storage fix, fixes kind of the problems with renewables by, um, yeah, you can essentially create artificial demand when you're charging them. So if there's an oversupply, there's lots of wind or sun, you can charge them up. And because you're creating the artificial demand, the value of that energy doesn't collapse. So they're still getting paid well, those renewable resources. Um, then when there is a shortage of those renewable resources, um, you can supply that energy back to the grid. And when you're doing that, you're going to be competing directly with fossil fuel generation, which is yeah, good, I guess, for the world. So at the moment, there's technologies like lithium-ion batteries and pumped hydro. They kind of have limitations. So lithium-ion is, is too expensive to scale to the size needed, and we need lots of it for just like electric cars and things. Where could people find um, yourself and then also Energy Bank in terms of um, if they wanted to get more information or even sort of um, have the opportunity to have a chat with you like I'm so lucky to do right now? Yeah, just flick me an email. Um, so my email is all lowercases, timh at energybank, one word, dot nz. So any advice for um, any, any young people out there that are... Um, sort of deciding what they want to do with their lives and, and might have an interest in the energy sector. Any advice for them? Yes, I, I think it's really important to be brave and courageous and you yeah, really don't hold back. If you're in your early 20s, um, it's the best time to just keep charging. Um, you only live once. So yeah, don't be afraid of failure, I think is the key thing. And if you almost accept failure yeah, ahead of time and prepare your ego for that, um, you can really mitigate any damaging circumstances and turn it into learning opportunities. I've had kind of many false starts. This one, you know, we're still far from success. Um, but by really stretching yourself, that's where you'll learn the most. Um, so, yeah, good luck. So, uh, to, to you, Tim, for um, giving you, uh, giving me your time um, and your your knowledge um, and also your journey. Like I'm. Um, you know, it sounds from a very young age you were you were moulded into sort of being what you are now through all your experiences, um, jumping out of planes, living out of cars, um, being in billionaires' houses and all, all that type of stuff. So, um, again, thank you very much for your time and appreciate you. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Keep an eye out for our other Lumo podcast, exploring the big ideas facing energy. We have an esteemed lineup of speakers from across energy, tech, law, humanities and more challenging the status quo in service of positive energy future for Aotearoa. Go to energyacademy.co.nz forward slash Lumo for more or check us out on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. <laughs>